Leanna Shields, and you're listening to Cozy Sleuth. Today, Houston Sleuth, I have with me John Dudakis. Did I pronounce that right? Dudakis. Dudakis. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, Here to talk about his book, Writing and All Things Cozy. Would you like to introduce yourself to my Houston Sleuth, John? Hi, Leanna. Thanks for letting me uh, talk to you and your uh, followers today. Uh, Let's see. I'm John Dedakis. I'm old. (laughs) I've been around for a while. Um, I was a journalist for about 45 years, 25 years at CNN. uh, The last seven uh, as one of Wolf Blitzer's editors at CNN in D.C. And uh, I'm a mystery suspense thriller uh, author. Uh, I've been traditionally published since 2005, uh, five novels out and counting, working on the sixth one right now. And uh, I'm also a manuscript editor, a writing coach, and uh, my protagonist is a young, 20-something young woman who goes into journalism. Wow, that is so impressive. Quite the background. Well, as I say, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) So is anything inspired by your actual life? Very much so. And I think that's this is probably true for most writers. Um, you draw from personal experience. And I think that the, the most powerful, authentic writing is when you write what you know. And since I know journalism, that's the backdrop for all of my novels. I would say that my protagonist is very much like me, but with a skirt on. Um, you know, she has a lot of, uh, uh, my tendencies, my personality, I suppose she's probably a little more courageous than I am, but, um, sure. I draw from personal experience and I can certainly go into more detail about that, but the short answer is yes. That's, uh, excuse me, I'm about to speak. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. All good. <laughs> um, tight. <laughs> Thank you. That is impressive, and I agree with the writing what you know, and also the characters being a little bit more courageous. <laughs> exactly, but we have time, you know, what what as a writer, you know, we have time to throw the kitchen sink at our protagonist and as, at our characters, but then we have weeks to work out how they're going to get out of something that in real life takes you know, a few seconds. That's true, true. With my main character, I actually gave her a love of old movies. I am a huge old movie fan. Uh-huh. And so it was fun to just have a character that could quote my favorite old movies at the drop of a hat. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and it, you're drawing from personal experience, and so that makes it more authentic. True. So with all your experience, I'm sure you have some great advice for those who want to write or write mysteries in general or specifically. (laughs) Well, I think the advice really crosses genres. It doesn't really matter what you're writing. I think that uh, uh, there are some common threads uh, uh, that are common to whoever aspires to be a writer and an author. I mean, I think if you desire to write and you do write, you are a writer. Um, the difference is you need to get published and then you're an author. And so the 
the advice I give people, probably the number one bit of advice is don't give up. Because if you do, that guarantees that you won't be published, which is too bad if you've got this burning desire to say something, to tell a story. It's a shame that, you know, you give up. So the second bit of advice is if you don't give up, get better. And so that means take classes, uh, teach yourself how to improve. Um, go to, uh, sorry, somebody's calling me. That can't be. Um, <laughs> go, to, go to writers' conferences, uh, get books on how to write, um, learn from others who are already doing it. And so I'd say those are probably two important pieces of advice uh, that are valid no matter what it is you're writing, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, memoir, novel, mystery, fantasy, whatever. Absolutely. And, but that not giving up can be the hardest piece of advice to follow because yes. there is nothing harder than just looking at that blank screen or paper or however you choose to write your book <laughs> and exactly. just feeling like, how, how can I do this? Right. Because, I mean, we are our worst critics. We are our harshest critics because we have this high standard, which is good to have, but you have to be realistic. Is your standard perfection? That's not going to happen. It's just not. And so, you know, just do your best. And the the more you keep striving to do your best, the better you will be. So what ends up happening is your best kept keeps getting better the, the longer you keep at it. And I think there's a third bit of advice, and that's get feedback. Um, you know, find people who will tell you the truth about the quality of your writing. You know, do, do you need to get per, give them permission to tell you what's not working because people want to be polite. They want to encourage you. You know, they'll say, oh, my God, this should be a movie. Wonderful. We need that encouragement. But more than anything, we need to find out where the story came off the tracks. You know, what is it you don't understand? And then don't be defensive. You know, if someone says, well, I didn't understand what was going on on page 200. You don't want to be the kind of writer who goes, well, if you'd been paying attention on page five, you'd know. You know, no, they're telling you they're late. You know, they're saying, dude, lay down some breadcrumbs. So I'm oriented. So when I get to page 200, I know what's happening and why. Absolutely. And it's so hard to find the right people for that. But it's very important to find the right people for that. And also joining writers groups. Oh, that is one that can be a, that days. that can be a blessing and a curse. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's it's a trial and error thing because writers groups will give you the feedback, but sometimes writers groups or some people in writers groups have this sort of sadistic pleasure in finding fault. And so sometimes they they say what they mean, but they're mean when they say it. So um you you may want to De uh, delay getting into a writer's group per se until you've had a chance to really work through all of the issues with your story. Because the danger is if you start to respond to people's uh, criticisms prematurely, 
you're going to be driven and tossed by everybody else's opinions before you've had a chance to really make some some decisions for yourself. Um, and then you can better better discern the quality of the feedback that you're getting. Absolutely. It, and that is some really great advice. Thanks. Really, it's so hard not to get caught up in other people's opinions. Oh, it is. It really is. And, and you know, someone raises an eyebrow at your writing and it's like death, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, I think, I think the fear of failure or not being perfect is are probably two of the biggest uh, impediments and hurdles and obstacles that a wannabe writer, a wannabe author needs to be able to overcome. Absolutely. And really that finished piece is never going to be 100% perfect. I have read professionally published books that have glaring typos in them. Yeah. One of my favorite authors, I always look to it when I'm going through my editing process, had the line or had a scene where the main character and his friend were pulling into his friend's one ear garage instead of <laughs> one car garage. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Well, and I made one, I mean, I've been making mistakes like that for my entire career. There was one um, when I was a reporter in Madison, Wisconsin, I was doing a stand-up um, at a place where it was, there was going to be a high-rise building. And I, uh, uh, in my stand-up clothes, I said, uh, it, it was, the, you know, the size of the place was uh, the size of a football field. And, uh, and so uh, I did my stand-up. And it went through several levels of editing. It aired. And as soon as it aired, my wife picked up on the mistake because I said a football-sized piece of land. <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, by this time it was on the air and my wife was the one who caught it. Too late. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Big whoops. I think I saw in my local news once that they misspelled wool months they put too many v's <laughs> <laughs> i know i know some of those can be very very entertaining but it's still mortifying if you're the oh, one having made the mistake absolutely and what can i say we're only human <laughs> yes exactly exactly embrace the mistakes yes actually one of my favorite things i saw on facebook that i wish i had printed when i saw it was a thing that said to the typos that have survived four beta readers, three rounds of edit, and, oh, I can't remember the last thing, I salute you. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's called persistent mistakes. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? You survived this one, you live. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> oh. So speaking of your book, do you have a favorite character or would you get in trouble with your other characters? Well, that, I mean, my favorite character is my protagonist, Lark Chadwick. Mm. Um, you know, she's a, a tough-minded, strong-willed, and um, she, the, the series starts with her solving the mystery of the car accident that orphaned her as an infant. And so the story begins when she discovers the body of the aunt who raised her from infancy. And so that trauma launches her on a search to find out more about her past. And so, 
She ends up going into journalism. She solves the mystery. Uh, and, and of course, she grows as a journalist and makes a lot of mistakes. Um, so I would say Lark is, is my favorite character. Um, second is probably Lionel Stone, who is Lark's mentor. You know, he's, he's um, a former New York Times editor. Um, he's retired um, Pulitzer Prize winner. So he's, he's, he's got a lot of experience and Lark is sort of the daughter that he doesn't have anymore because his daughter died in a mountain climbing accident. And so, you know, there's a special bond that they have between them. And so there's friction um, because he's her editor, um, but there's also great affection, but you know, he's kind of crusty old school. So showing affection is not easy for him. You know, he's very, he's very good with anger. Um, but so is Lark. That's one of her shortcomings and impulsiveness. So that's kind of the dynamic that works out between them uh, as we go through uh, the different stories. And by the time we get to the fifth novel, the most recent one, Lark is a White House correspondent, which Lionel was when Kennedy was president, when uh, Lionel was when Lionel covered the White House for the New York Times. So Lark is following in his footsteps, but we're now in the digital age and and uh, the covering the White House is a lot different nowadays than it was back in his day. <laughs> oh, I bet that is quite the change. <laughs> It is. I mean, journalism has gone through a lot of changes, uh, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not sure it's going in the right direction, but that's, I don't know if you want to go there, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, so would you say you've had an author that's most influenced your writing? Have I had a what? An, a particular author that's influenced your writing. Oh, I would say I'm pretty uh, susceptible to just about anyone who's a good writer. I I would have to say that the moment that fiction became something attractive to me was when I read John Steinbeck's The Gra Grapes of Wrath, and that's when history came alive for me, because you were you would you know my my experience is just the facts journalism, but fiction writing novel writing really allows you to get into the heads and the lives of individuals in a way that journalism doesn't because it's more aloof. Uh, so I would say Steinbeck was probably, you know, number one, but, uh, you know, now I'm, uh, you know, I like, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Michael Connolly and, you know, people like that. I mean, I could, I, there are a lot of, a lot of people you don't have to throw a stone very far in a bookstore, you know, in the, especially in the mystery section, you know, to come across excellent, excellent writing. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's amazing. The power of a great story. I, I love fiction for that reason. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly, and and the and it's and, and what's nice about writing is that time is elastic. You know, you can take a thousand words to describe one second, or you can take one one page and describe a thousand years. Um, you know, it, it and you can time travel. I mean, there's so many different ways, you know, to tell a story. 
Um, so yes, it, there's a lot of elasticity in uh, in the way we write. Yeah, uh, Tolkien, who's always one of my favorite authors, just had beautiful just prose and the way he wrote and descriptions. C.S. Lewis was amazing. Then, of course, there's my favorite genre, Cozy's, where somehow these authors managed to bring alive community. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Relationships. You know, the, the traditional cozy is it's, it's a small, it's a village or a small area, uh, a small environment. And, uh, and so part of the richness of those stories are the relationships that uh, uh, develop among the people. It's not uh, uh, so much of the anonymity that happens in a bigger, uh, a bigger city. Exactly, and it's fiction is just fun. <laughs> it is, it is. You get to make it up. I mean, and that was that was a hard thing for me to do because in journalism, it's a firing offense to make things up, unlike what some presidents will tell you. <laughs> and so it took me a while to get the courage to, um, because uh, I was drawing from personal experience, but I no longer had to doggedly stick to the facts. I could change, I could change locales, I could change names of cities, um, I could embellish and exaggerate. Uh, so it was it was very freeing to be able to write fiction. Yeah, or you can even create a fictional city. You can. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. In fact, some of my uh, some of my stories are set in real places, but for the sake of the plot, uh, I uh, I've changed the name of the locale because I've changed some of the geography of the place. Uh, and anybody who knows that community will know, you know, well, that's not right. Well, of course, it's not because I changed the name and it's fictional now. Right. With, with me, I created a small town that's like 15 minutes between two very real cities in Colorado. And, right. And so you, you, right. So you give people some touchstones, but at the same time, you have the freedom to create a whole new area uh, and make it believable. Right. So getting back to you, guest of honor, <laughs> if you and your main character sat down for coffee or whatever your preferred caffeine intake is, what would they get and what would you get? Ooh. Well, if I if I were meeting with my my protagonist, she would probably have wine, I'd say a cabernet. Um Sometimes, though, she would go to a dive bar and just have a beer. Um, and I would probably have, oh, I don't know, a Corona maybe or a Stella or, you know, a beer, I guess. I'm a beer guy. Sometimes wine. <laughs> oh, she sounds, 
she sounds like a hardcore woman <laughs> oh i don't know she's she's got a she's kind of she's got some some vulnerabilities that she tries to hide um you know the she cried a lot in the first novel fast track and i had i had to actually edit out some of that i'm going geez you know come <laughs> on girl you know um so she's had to you know be a little stronger than she'd like to be um and you know she's a she's a woman in a man's world in fact there's a scene where she has an argument with her editor lionel stone and this is ripped from reality because um when i was at cnn in atlanta i was a writer at this time and back then the newsroom was the backdrop for the anchor set and so you could see us all in the background and they had circular pods the editor sat in the middle and then the writers and producers sat on the uh on the outer rim of the of the pods and so it was an open newsroom and you could hear everything that was going on and so i was listening and i heard two women talking over my left shoulder both of them were producers. One had just produced a show that blew up. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And so she had been called into the, the senior producer's office, Mr. Big. And he just reamed her out, told her how terrible she was as a producer, how it was all her fault. So now she's back in the newsroom telling her girlfriend all of the stuff that went on. And I'm listening to what's going on. And at one point in the conversation, she was describing this power dynamic with Mr. Big. And she said to this woman, she said, I told myself, you will not cry. You will not cry. And I'm going, oh, baby, I never, if I were in that situation, I would have been saying to myself, you will not punch him out. You will not punch him out. But that's what I learned. One of the things I learned about being a woman, and that is in a power dynamic like that, she felt that she had to be strong. And so that moment is ripped from reality. And so when Lark is arguing with Lionel, there's a moment where Lark says to herself, you will not cry. You will not cry. And it's ripped from reality. Oh, wow. She sounds like a great character. I think so. I mean, I it's an open-ended series. It, you know, by the 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 I'm working on the sixth novel now, uh, and I'm not going to give too much of it away. But uh, in this first draft, she becomes the White House press secretary, and so now she's gone from you know a college dropout. Three years later, her career has steadily. Uh, um, improved shall we say to the point where now she's at the pinnacle of her career and talk about talk about um being a target oh i bet you know i've always wondered what is the hardest thing as a writer about writing a series i don't that's a good question and i don't think anybody's asked me that one before um I have to think about that. I mean, I, I don't know that it's any different writing a standalone or a series. In fact, if anything, a series might be easier because you already know the character pretty well. So it's not like you're starting from scratch. You already have a certain fact base. 
you know, an experience. So there's already a lot to draw from. So I'm, I'm thinking that's one of the things that makes a series easier. Um, I think one of the things to avoid, one of the things I have to be careful about is that the stories don't all feel the same. You know, it's very easy to keep throwing the same things at your character and have, and so uh, there's too much of a sameness to it, a familiarity. And so I think probably, you know, the big thing I'm, I'm trying to be aware of is to make the stories different um, so that they're compelling and interesting and not predictable. Yeah. And that seems to me would be a very hard thing, especially for mysteries, because our readers expect, okay, body is going to show up here. Crime is going to show up here. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, our character is going to figure out what's going on. And yes, how do you shake oh. that up every single book? Oh man, and and that and that's been a big struggle because what what I'm doing now, I usually, you know, there's this whole planner versus pantser thing. Mm -hmm. You know, do you write by the seat of your pants? Do you plan it out? Well, and I like to plan because it seems to me, or it's felt to me, as if if I'm just writing from the seat of my pants, that feels like spinning my wheels. So I like to know where I'm going, but the problem is. What I've discovered is I'm not as good a planner as I'd like to think, which means that about halfway through the novel, I hit a wall and it's like, well, where do I go from here? Even if I know how it's going to end, getting there is a trick. And so what I become is a planter. I plan, but then I also have to do some seat of the pants writing. And what I've discovered is if writing is like, drawing from your subconscious it's like dipping a straw into your subconscious and when you ask yourself questions about like what if this and i wonder about that and if you have two characters talking to each other that stirs up your subconscious so that the act of writing is like sipping that from that straw and it comes through your fingers and onto the page and it's like you only have enough light for the next step and what I'm that's what I'm discovering. The, the novel I'm writing now, I don't know how it's going to end. I've written more than half of it. And I'm at a point now where I'm groping. I have I have big ideas, but I don't know who the bad guy is. And so <laughs> and of course, I'm writing first person's present tense. So that means that I, I don't have the luxury of getting into somebody else's head. I don't have the luxury of taking you different places. My point of view is very limited to the way it is with us when we go through life. We only know so much. And so I have to figure out ways Lark is going to find stuff out. <clears throat> yeah. It's mad. Oh, absolutely. And it's no easier when you write third person. Okay, good, good to know. <laughs> Thanks. Well, that's, that means that's not going to solve my problem. <laughs> well, well, with me, I am definitely a right by the seat of the pants. And with me, sometimes I'll have a character just out of nowhere decide, hey, I did it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. Wait, I, I laid out the clues for this one. 
Yeah. You should not be allowed to all of a sudden say you did it. <laughs> that's right. Well, but that's why that's where the rewrite comes in. And that's when you yeah. can, that's when you can, you know, go from right brain to left brain and make it come together and make it coherent. Absolutely. So how can my snips and sleuths follow you? Probably the best way is to go to my website uh, because that's where my events are. That's where my books are laid out. Um, uh, and there's a way to contact me through that. And so my website is my name, John, J-O-H-N, Dedakis, D as in dog, E, D as in dog, A, K-I-S as in Sam, dot com. And I'll be sure to include that in the show's notes. Excellent. Well, I can't believe we're already at the last question. I've had so much fun talking with you. Well, this has gone fast. You're, you're a good interviewer, Leanna. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What is one complaint your characters would have about you as an author? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Lark would probably say he takes too long to make decisions about what I'm going to do um, because <laughs> Leanna, I've got procrastination nailed. And so Lark is just twiddling her thumbs, anxious to move on with the story. And, you know, I'm just dithering. So I think Lark would like me to be a little more decisive. <laughs> that is great. I think that's the first time I've ever heard that answer. And I love it. Well, John, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate this. Well, Snoops and Sleuths, you've heard another great interview here on the Cozy Sleuth. I'd like to thank my patrons for keeping the show commercial-free and growing, and I'd like to thank my Coffee Clutch for their help as well. If you'd like to be a member of my Coffee Clutch, check me out on coffee.com slash the Cozy Sleuth. It's ko-fi.com slash the Cozy Sleuth. Or you can become a patron on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Cozy Sleuth. And if you'd like to hear some cozy mysteries read by live actors, check out the Cozy Mystery Rats Maze, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Until next time, this is Leanna Fields saying, keep cozy. <laughs> <laughs>